Welcome back to another episode of the Testudo Times podcast with your host Sam Austria alongside Ben Dixon. We have a lot to get to today. Maryland's seeding is officially out. Yeah, uh, we're 24 hours away from their return to the NSA tournament after a one-year hiatus. They haven't been back since 2021. Obviously, last year was a tumultuous, poor, poor down season for Maryland, but they're back in the NSA tournament as an eight seed. This is Kevin Willard's sixth time making the NSA tournament, his third time as an eight seed. So he lo- he loves that eight nine matchup. We'll talk about that a little bit. But he's one in five in the NSA tournament, so he has a chance. You know. When when he was hired, one of the things was he has hasn't had a lot of NSA tournament success, so he's a chance to kind of turn that narrative around with Maryland this year. Um, so we're gonna get to all that and more. We're also gonna talk a little bit about the Big Ten tournament and Indiana's win over Maryland, which we, we didn't talk about uh, since our last recording on on Saturday or, or Friday, I believe it was. But first, Ben, how are you? Doing well, Sam. Ready to go here. No, best time of the year, I'd argue. Tomorrow. Might be the best day on the entire calendar year. That first day of March Madness, the round of sixty-four, um, it's the best for for the people that love this sport like us. So uh, ready to roll here. We'll be in Birmingham uh, for all the coverage you need. Uh, we both got flights out there later, so really excited for that. Never been to uh, Alabama or Birmingham, so excited to uh, get a taste of everything down there and, and enjoy some good hoops. Let's go. Yeah, no, it's it's, it's going to be great. And Maryland's the very first game of the round of sixty-four. They're tipping off at twelve fifteen on thursday so they really are the 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 first game of that round so there's gonna be a lot of eyes on them but first let's talk about the big 10 tournament and wrap that up real quick so we talked about maryland's win over uh minnesota and then we did a little preview with our friend evan on the last podcast of the indiana game and we were pretty spot on with our analysis of how that game would go we both picked indiana to win um any any just takeaways from that game before we get into some individual player performances um yeah i mean uh I'm going to go back to that preview I kind of wrote before the game, and we talked about everything. We both harped on it on the, on that podcast with Evan before the game started. Um, Jameer, um, I think you will obviously get into his performance, but I think that's the big takeaway. Um, the team will go as far as he does, and he did, obviously didn't have a great game against Indiana. Um, and then foul trouble as well. Uh, Julian Reese, Patrick Gamillion dealt with some trouble as well. Um, that was a problem against Minnesota. Actually, both those were problems against Minnesota, and they kind of continued against Indiana, which uh, were a little concerning. And we'll get into kind of everything related to that. But I think those are just the two biggest takeaways and kind of why they, Maryland faltered in the second half. Yeah, one of the things we talked about before that game was, and one of the reasons why I picked Indiana was, Maryland's been really bad on the road. And yes, technically that was a neutral site game. When, when, when it goes in the record books, it's going in as a neutral site game. But we were both in the arena that day. That was 100% an Indiana home game. I mean, it was all red, all for red for Indiana, all Indiana fans in the stands. And and that's really what propelled Indiana to, to make a big run in late in the first half and, and more so in the second half. But Maryland's really struggled on the road all season. And despite it technically being a, um, a neutral site game, it was an Indiana home game because there were so many Indiana fans, kind of a hostile environment, to be honest with you, not to the extent that Maryland's played in in, in real uh, true road games in the Big Ten. But still, it was a road game for Maryland, and they've struggled on the road all season as we've documented game after game after game. And and that's a big part of why I think they struggled. Um, let's talk about Julian Reese for a second. Because that was the turning point in the game for me. In that second half, it's a tie game. Indiana's making a little bit of a run, but it's a tie game, 43-43. Looks like things are getting out of hand for Maryland. Um, but that's when Julian Reese is called for his fourth foul with 12 minutes to go in the game. And when there's 12 minutes to go and Julian Reese is one foul away from from getting from fouling out of the game, there's really no choice but to put Julian Reese on the bench. And that's when 
Indiana explodes on 11-0 run, and the game's kind of over from there. Maryland kind of makes a run later, but once Indiana exploded on that 11-0 run, took a double-digit lead, pretty much all those baskets were with Julian Reese on the bench, even though Willard brought him back in two minutes later. That, that was kind of the game for me. So Julian Reese being in foul trouble was huge. And Patrick Millian has been good in relief for Julian Reese, but he fouled out of that game. He came in and immediately picked up two fouls. You can talk about the whistle, and it wasn't a great officiated game for either sides, but Maryland's bigs and Julian Reese and Patrick Millian cannot get into foul trouble. And we're going to talk about that against West Virginia, but that was a huge thing for me. And, and they were doing a much better job later in Big Ten play of kind of limiting their fouls and remaining aggressive defensively, even when they had a couple fouls. But these Big Ten refs in, in that in that environment, in that Big Ten tournament, they were calling everything against Julian Reese and Patrick Million, and they got in the foul troubles. And that was the turning point for me because it was kind of over once Julian Reese went to the bench, given how much Indiana loves to pound it inside. Yeah, I mean... I did not like the way those games were officiated at all, especially that Indiana game. So many whistles. Um, it, it was both ways a little bit, but some some really tough ones as well. I agree with you. I think the game turned when Julian picked up, you know, that that fourth foul. What he picked up his third almost right away in the second half, right? And I, I'm yeah, pretty within sure within like a minute or two. Yeah, it was, I'm looking at it. 37 seconds in, and he was left in the game, um, and then didn't stub out until right like under 16. Then came back in, picked up that fourth foul. Um, you know, obviously that's not going to be ideal. It's it's a story we've talked about all year. It's something that he's really been better at, which is one, playing in foul trouble, and two, just being able to stay on the floor without fouling and, and still being physical. Um, I don't think the officials or, you know, the the way that game was dictated let that happen. I will say the to flip side that um we won't get into the West Virginia game yet, but I mean, Julian Reese has got to be very thankful he's getting out of that Big Ten play right now because those bigs are just, as well as he's played against those guys all year, stepped up to the test against Edie twice, stepped up against Jackson Davis the first time. It's, you know, it's just a different ball game. It's a different style in the Big Ten. Um, and and we'll, we'll see a little bit of different uh, style, at least with West Virginia, who's a little, a little similar to Maryland. I know um, we'll, we'll talk about that matchup in, in totality, but I think he's Julian and the rest of the team's got to be pretty thankful to get out of big 10 play because the way that game was officiated, Trace Jackson Davis was, it it was his game pretty much. Um, Not, not that he didn't deserve all the calls he was getting, but he kind of dictated the game. And and I I think the officials kind of dictated it off his play as well. Yeah. And I agree with the point about the officials. Um, but, but like, yeah, Trace Jackson Davis was a really tough matchup, but they were really physical inside and and you kind of knew the game plan. Like, they were doubling Trace Jackson Davis early all the time, pretty much on every time he caught the ball, whether it was mid post, low post. And that was what they did successfully when Indiana mm-hmm. was in College Park back in, jet in late January. But once Julian Reese started getting the foul trouble and they kind of were mixing rotations and Patrick Million had some shifts on him, they kind of stopped going to that double team. And that's when Trace Jackson Davis kind of got his way. He finished with 24 points um, and nine rebounds and, and seven assists. He was really on a triple-double watch. Yeah, I didn't even crazy. realize that 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 was his stat line to be honest with you until looking at it right now. I didn't that seven assists is pretty impressive. But it was also a game of like threes versus twos. Like Maryland, why how they were able to build the lead early was they were knocking down threes at a high rate. They were six for ten to start the game. And they had finished the half six for thirteen from three. I mean, this is an inconsistent and volatile shooting team from deep, but when they're hot they can build leads on anybody and they started the game really hot from from three. And that's not Indiana's identity at all. They don't shoot threes at all they only shot 10 threes compared to maryland's 24 indiana doesn't matter if they're going down 10 12 points their identity is they're going to pound it inside with trey shackson davis with race race thompson dribble drive penetration miller cop is really the only guy who consistently 
um, who consistently shoots threes, and of course Jalen Hood uh, Stefano. But but other than those two guys, they're not looking to shoot threes at all. They want to pound it inside, and that really hurt Maryland as they got cold. Maryland started six for ten, and they they went thir- three for t- fourteen. Excuse me, three for fourteen the rest of the way in that game. They just they were hot, and then they went really cold, which has kind of been the story with them all season. And Indiana never went away from their identity, which was just getting the ball inside, forcing, get, getting to the free throw line, forcing Maryland's bigs in foul trouble. And Indiana's game plan was more sound for 40 minutes, and, and that's why they were they came away with the win. No doubt. And I think talking about the flip side of that, um, 9 for 24 from three, big picture, um, you'll probably take for this team if they're going to shoot that many threes because we've seen the 3 for 21 games and we've seen the recipe work at home when they've, they're only taking 13 threes per game. Um, but if you're going to take 24, I guess 9 made is a fine number. 3 for 11 in the second half is obviously not going to cut it. But the number that stands out to me for Maryland offensively, two numbers here. On two-pointers, Maryland was 11 for 38. Maryland shot 28.9% from two. Against Indiana, that is putrid, horrible. And the same can be said, you know, for their layups. When you take a closer look on stat broadcast, Maryland was six for 21 on layups, six for 21. And some of them were contested. Some of them were bunnies. I thought they missed. Um, And then if you include the missed dunk by Jameer there too, um, layups and dunks combined, they were eight for 24. Yeah. Like that's 33%. And then you you shoot less than 30% from two. I think that's the story of the game. For Maryland offensively, when you start so hot from three, which kind of carried them that early, it was almost fool's gold in a way because you knew they weren't going to be able to keep it up for a full game. They've only done that what once or twice this whole year in big games. Um, so so once that shooting kind of cooled off, they weren't able to get anything going inside. And obviously that applies to Jameer driving downhill. He was only two for ten from two. Dante Scott was only two for eight from two. Hakeem Hart only three for seven from two. Like you're going to need some more from these guys, and and I think that's just pretty you know, indicative uh, of the performance we saw. If, if Maryland's going to shoot th- that percentage from three, which was fine in the second half, obviously took a step back. You're going to need to be better from two, just in any game to shoot that percentage from, from two. You're just, you're not going to beat anyone. Yeah. I, I last point I want to harp on here um, before we get into West Virginia preview, because I know people don't really care too much about what happened uh, a few days ago. They want to know what's going to happen tomorrow. Um, But last point is here is Jameer Young struggled struggles, which you alluded to alluded to earlier um, in the show, both games, you know, against Minnesota, he had, he finished with 15 points. <clears throat> Excuse me. He was really inefficient from the field and really the same thing against Indiana. And, you know, he's after the game, Jameer Young, this was after the Minnesota game. I asked him about it. And he was like, you know, it's kind of the same. I just played bad. Like this is the same coverages that I've seen all year with hard hedges, with blitzes, with all these kind of pick and roll coverages that he's seen. But Willard after the Indiana game, <clears throat> Willard after the Indiana game, he was saying like, these are just it was big bigger players. They did a great job switching. They were switching almost everything. And Indiana's big players, even their their bigs, were doing a great job moving the feet on the perimeter. And that's really why Jimmy Young struggled because it was against bigger guys. And, and he's not necessarily a bigger guy. I mean, he was um excuse me, let me pull this up real quick. Three for twenty eight, I believe. Yeah, three for or excuse me, six for twenty eight from the field in the two games combined. Mm-hmm. Finished with twenty seven points. Most of those points came from the foul line. He was six for twenty eight from the field. That's just never going to cut it. Your best player needs to play like it to win big games, especially come postseason time. And he just didn't play like that. I mean, he's been phenomenal all year. Can't say enough good things about him, but he just didn't play like that in the Big Ten tournament. He certainly did not. And Maryland's going to need him going forward. He says teams have played him like that all year. And, but, you know, we heard Minnesota after the game. Ben Johnson said there was, 
you know, a big change in, in their game plan to kind of, you know, with, with their ball screen defense that kind of was more physical on Jameer and made things more difficult for him. I think we've seen these past few days. Um, I don't want to say the book is out on him because that, that's a term that you and I have used. I'm, I'm not sure that's completely true, but I think teams are figuring out how to guard Jameer a little bit more. And when they're becoming more physical with him, you can see that he's he's small, like he's, he's a smaller player and, and he's he thrives in pick and roll when it's clicking for Maryland. And you did a great film review. I I, uh, I hope all you guys check that out on testudotimes.com. The keys to that West Virginia game, um, really good film from both Maryland and West Virginia in there. But when teams are, you know, are extra physical with Jameer, the ball screen defense is really amped up. Um, that That's where you start to worry a little bit because that's part of what's made him so good. He's, that's not like he's some phenomenal three-point shooter. He's hit clutch threes throughout the year, but that, that hasn't been his bread and butter. Yeah. All right. Let's go to West Virginia. We have an NCAA tournament game to talk about. You know, back in November, I thought, I think both of us would have, if we were saying this in March right now, still recording this podcast, previewing an NCAA tournament game, we we would have said you were crazy. I think everyone did. That's why they were picked to to finish solo down in the conference. Um, but we have a game, and it's going to be Maryland West Virginia. Kevin Willard against Hall of Fame coach Bob Huggins, who now that Jim Beheim retired is, I think, the most active wins of all time, um, from a, from an NCAA coach an active uh, men's NCA coach, but we have a great matchup. West Virginia is favored by two. Um, are you still there, Ben? I lost you for a second. Yeah, I'm here. I'm here. All right. Yeah. All right. Great. I just lost you for a second. I don't know if I was talking to a brick wall, but nah, we're good nah, to go. West Virginia is favored by two. Um, and almost every expert that we've seen, like we saw this list of experts yesterday and almost every single one was picking West Virginia. And I've watched a lot of West Virginia film over the last two days I'm not really sure why. These are two teams that have very similar styles of play. They both don't rely necessarily on one guy too much. Very balanced scoring attack. Like to push the ball in transition. What What are your initial takeaways from this West Virginia team and this matchup? Yeah, I, I think kind of to, to your point, what people are loving West Virginia in this game. And I think that's, you know, the Kempom spread indicates that West Virginia would have been favored 17 versus 23. Um, you know, and that's why West Virginia is favored by two, and and all the experts seem to love that as well. I think my biggest takeaway, and kind of one of those cliches that that you cleaned up in your article, which I appreciate, is West Virginia obviously known as Press Virginia throughout the years. They're really not this year, and and I don't think they they have been last year, or the year before that. You can correct me if I'm if I'm wrong because I know you've uh, you've been doing some research on that. But I think Huggins has kind of moved away from that, you know, in this era of the portal and and kind of getting new players every year. Um, but you know, who knows? I, I think I'm impressed by the amount of transfers that they have on this team. Eric Stevenson feels like he's been, you know, everywhere. He shoots 38% from three. He's he's a big piece. Uh, Joe Toussaint, Maryland fans will be very familiar with, uh, the former Iowa point guard for three years. Um, he's West Virginia's point guard there as well. Trey Mitchell, the big from Texas. Um, he transferred from UMass to Texas last year. Really high, highly touted guy. Um, can do some damage as well. Also shoots 38% from three for a 6'9 dude. Um, so West Virginia is pretty well-rounded. Um, and, and I will say a top 15 offense in the country. Um, this is where Maryland's defense will will be put to the test. It's not, you know, you know, your brothers, older brothers, West Virginia, like we said, with, uh, you know, press Virginia and kind of as, you know, chaotic as it is. I wouldn't be surprised for Huggins to break out that press some more against West Virginia. It's just because, you know, the old saying, uh, you know, pre- pressing teams don't love to be pressed. Um, so we'll see about that. Uh, but I, I think it's going to be a really exciting game. Uh, those are definitely some of my first uh, overall impressions there. Yeah, a couple points on that. First, you're definitely right on um, on this West Virginia notion that it's still press Virginia. I think I had friends still calling that like last year. The, their, 
their press rate hasn't been above 10% since 2019-2020 um, season. And I'm just finding the stat right here. In 2017-2018, their press rate was 35%. That's a remarkably high rate. Like, yes, back back then, like six, seven, even eight years ago, they were pressing all the time. They were press Virginia. But last year and this year, really, they really have not pressed a lot. I mean, they will show a full-court press. I've seen it on film a couple times. But for the most part, this team is not pressing. To, to your point, though, on the other side, it won't surprise me at all if they not consistently on every basket, but there's times where they're showing a press. Maryland really has not seen a press at all this year. Big Ten teams do not press except Maryland, really. And Maryland loves to press. I would not be surprised at all if Huggins, who I'm sure they work on the press because they showed it a few times this year. Huggins knows the principles like the back of his hand of a press. It wouldn't surprise me at all if, if they're implementing a press to, to kind of trip up Maryland. And we don't really know how Maryland w- would respond to it because we haven't seen them in a lot of press break situations this season. Yeah, we really haven't. Um, but it is interesting. I, I would imagine this is a game where Maryland's going to want to press because West Virginia does have a really good offense. And it, it, I don't know if it will be to, you know, sl- uh, slow them or slow them down or you know, stop them necessarily, but more so to kind of slow them down and disrupt their rhythm. I don't know if it's more so for, for turnovers in that regard. Um, but we will see. I, I, I Look, if this game it becomes a track meet and both teams are pressing for 40 minutes for the, to open up the NCAA tournament with Jim Nance and, and Bill Raftery on the call, obviously, you know, we we won't be listening to them because we'll be in person. Hopefully we get some uh, some good seats in that arena. Um, I think I think it'd be a college basketball fan's dream. I, I think, I in my opinion, I think that's potential. Maybe I'm a little biased just because I've seen Maryland play every single game this year and every single game for, you know, a very long time. I think this could be the best 8-9 game of, of the first round. Well, let me say, if they get into a track meet, West Virginia's winning the game. I, I would favors West Virginia 104. Let's just talk about West Virginia's lot, roster a little bit. You talked about Eric Stevenson, the South Carolina transfer. He's had a phenomenal year, and he's their best player and best scorer, but he's also their best shooter. He's th- shooting 38% from three. But he's also capable of getting downhill. He's a shot creator. He's really been phenomenal. The flip side of it is he's not incredibly explosive necessarily. Where And Maryland's had success limiting opposing teams' best players. I don't know who, exactly who to compare him to in, in the Big Ten. I'm not sure there is a comparison. But Maryland's had success limiting other teams' best players. Hakeem Hart will probably start on him. Ian Martinez off the bench will get some shifts on him. Um, it's going to be interesting to see their coverage, but I, I would not be surprised if Maryland can kind of shut Eric Stevenson down. He, he's, he's, if he's making shots at a high rate, then yeah, West Virginia is, is, is probably going to win the game. But I think Maryland is, is, is up to the task to kind of get in his face, maybe face him a little bit, just make sure he doesn't get the touches that, that he's typically got in big 12 play, especially early on. Um, there's a lot you can do to kind of, um, take him out of the game and make West Virginia's other scores beat you, and you'll be in better shape. You're right. West Virginia, they have a balanced attack, which is why it's so similar to Maryland. Like, one mm-hmm. day it's 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 Trey Mitchell showing up. One day it's uh, Kedrion Johnson. The other day it's Joe Toussaint. Like, they have so many different guys that can carry the team, similar to Maryland. And the other reason why they're, they're almost a mirror image to Maryland is because they're so experienced. All their guys, especially their starting lineup, have played college basketball four, five, six years even. Same Same thing with Maryland for the most part. Yeah, that's why this is such an even matchup to me. Um, it's 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 there's so many other keys that I want to get to, but is there any anyone that jumps out on you on this roster other than Eric Stevenson, where it's like this guy that Maryland really has to has to focus on? 
Yeah, well, I will say one more point about Stevenson is just not only his shooting that can carry the team, it's the volume that he's at. Like he led the Big 12 in both per, in both usage rate and percentage of shots taken per team. Uh, in conference play, he took 37% of West Virginia shots. Um, overall on their schedule, he's taken 33.8% of their shots, which is 10th in the country. So he's going to be the, the one guy you got to have a target on and the one guy which, to your point, I think Maryland will be able to eliminate. Um I think Wait, the let, let me just say real quick. He finished. He 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 had um eighteen and thirteen in the final two games of the season. But that was in the Big Twelve tournament. In the final five games of the regular season, he had twenty seven, twenty three, twenty three, twenty three, twenty seven. I mean, this guy caught fire. And before that, he was really he had three straight games in single digits. So this guy caught fire at the end of the season. And you're right about the volume. He shoots it a ton. That's why it's so interesting because most of Maryland's game plans this year haven't been to shut down like one great shot creator shooter. A lot of them have been like they're shutting down bigs. They're shutting yeah. down guys who love to post up either in the mid post or low post. And maybe you're capable of stepping out and shooting three too. So Maryland's defense hasn't really seen this before, but I trust Willard and his staff to, to devise a game plan for this type of player. I would agree with you wholeheartedly. I think one more thing I would add lineup wise is that West Virginia starting Trey Mitchell and Jimmy Bell. Obviously, you mentioned Trey Mitchell earlier. earlier he's 6'9". He can extend from three. Um, he's taken 95 three-pointers this year. He shoots 38% from three, so he he's efficient on that front as well. Um, Jimmy Bell is uh, 6'10 center. Um, he's not going to bring you outside at all, but um, he, he's a guy who you know is starting there as well. So part of me kind of is interested as well with Maryland's 4-5, and five, Dante Scott and Julian Reese being – Scott being 6'8", Reese being 6'9". Like Trey Mitchell's a big dude, and he's playing the four for West Virginia, and Jimmy Bell's playing the five. So West Virginia does have a size advantage down low, especially if Trey Mitchell's going to be able to bring you outside too. I think that would help Dante defensively. Uh, the fact that Maryland does have a four that can play, you know, three levels defensively. However, um, it, it's definitely having you know the the power forward and center with that height advantage. It's not something that Maryland's unfamiliar with playing in the Big Ten, but I also think it's something to keep an eye on in addition to, you know, locking down Stevenson as that number one option. Having a, a, a big four who can extend the floor as well um, could could create some, you know, balance like we've we've seen and we've talked about from West Virginia and kind of some problems as well. And to the point about the defense, you know, one of the things that made Maryland great early on this year and really for most of Big Ten play was their defensive intensity was was unmatched. I mean, they brought it every single day, whether at home or even on the road sometimes as the game settled in, even though it wasn't as great on the road. Maryland's defensive intensity hasn't been, I don't think it was the same in the Big Ten tournament like it was. I don't think it was against Ohio State or Penn State necessarily, maybe in the in the first half against Penn State, but then it kind of fell off. Maryland's defense intensity has to be at the level it was at earlier on in the season to beat this West Virginia team. I mean, you said it, but this, this team, according to Ken Palm's adjusted offensive efficiency, they're the 15th best offense mm-hmm. in the entire country. I mean, this team, if they get hot, they are prolific offensively. Um, That could be a problem. I want to talk about a transition offense and defense. One of the things I wrote about um, in that that breakdown piece that that you mentioned earlier, it's going to be so important to this game because one of the ways West Virginia's offense is so prolific is they love to get get out and transition and run. Their, Their offense is predicated a lot on grab a rebound, quick outlet pass, and you're moving down the floor either for a three or four drive to the rim. And I showed some clips of it. Obviously, I can't do that now, but they just West Virginia loves to get out, out and run. And here's the thing about Maryland's transition defense. It's been really bad. Willard, That was the first thing Willard said when he was asked about his thoughts on the West Virginia matchup. He was like, our transition defense against Indiana was not good. 
we need that's going to be a key to the game. We need to get that cleaned up. And there's so many clips that I found of in, of Maryland just like reaching for the ball at half court, even in the press. It wasn't necessarily even transition defense. Even their press hasn't looked as good, and their press has been pretty effective for most of the season. But even their press hasn't looked as good. Um, in in recent stretches, especially against Indiana in that last game, if they if their transition defense is poor and their press is ineffective, West Virginia is going to have a field day because they love to move the ball, and it's so, it's the fundamentals that Willard talked about. Like there's so many times you watch these clips of West Virginia or excuse me of Maryland trying to to get back on transition defense, and they're not even locating guys. There's no communication. Nobody's stopping the ball. It's fundamental things that you learn early on when you're playing basketball that which is why I'm confident they can fix it because they can watch these clips. They can replicate this all the time in practice over the last few days of just stopping the ball, locating shooters in transition. And that's what they're going to need to do. They're going to need to run back on defense, build a wall, stop the ball and, and locate shooters. And if they, if they can fix their transition defense and limit West Virginia a little bit, they'll be in good shape because that's how West Virginia gets so many of their points is through the transition game. Yeah. And you really make great points. I think, some of the clips you added, the one especially of, of the Big Ten tournament where Hakeem kind of reached for that that ball against Indiana and led to, what, a wide-open three for Miller Copper. Maybe yeah. it was wide-open layup. I'm, I'm not sure. Memory's a little three, foggy yeah, on that one. Ball. But um, you're right. It, it It is fundamentals. And it wasn't the first time that Woods brought up transition defense. Um, he, He's kind of brought that up as keys to the ro- – uh, keys on the road, excuse me, earlier in the season. Um, But, yeah, I, I think you make – very valid points there, especially if Maryland's pressing the whole game. You got to be able to stay, you know, composed and, and not overreach, not overplay anything. Because if you press and, and your goal is to kind of slow West Virginia down or kind of disrupt them and, you know, take them out of the rhythm, even if it's not for turnovers, as soon as you reach and as soon as West Virginia gets by you, and let's say Stevenson's trailing for a wide open three, he'll make you pay from 30 feet. Like it's not, you, you got you got to be condescending of the type of team you're going against, one, and just two, the fundamentals, like you mentioned. Um, you got to be able to, you know, keep mind to those and, and be able to, you know, get back to the basics and, and not, like you said, you know, your, your peewee coach in, in, in the, in the article you wrote, you said your peewee coach will tell you to get back to the fundamentals because he doesn't know basketball and that's all he'll say. What, um, but how, but how many Maryland, times anyone who's ever played basketball at a young age can just think of their coach down on the sideline and like sixth grade of stop the ball, stop the ball. Yeah, exactly. yeah, that, that, and it's, and it's like, they're saying that because they don't know anything else to say because they're coaching six, six year olds. But like, it's true. Like, that's what yeah. you do. Transition defense. You stop the ball. Uh, that's like the fundamental thing of basketball and trans- transition defense. Of course. And, and, and I was, I was going to say kind of off that point for, for Maryland team that has, you know, been so good and with their press, been so good defensive intensity wise, the matchup zone on defense, even man on defense, team defense, when you're playing bigs and sending doubles, they've kind of at times perfected other parts of the game. As long as, you know, they, they nail down that transition defense, it, it could be a pretty complete defensive effort. But if they don't on the flip side, like you said, West Virginia could have a field day. Yeah. So that's a big key for me. And the other one is West Virginia also doesn't have a great transition defense. It's not as bad as Maryland's, but it's, it's certainly suspect. But what they do do really well is they're a great putback team. Like I, I have the stat here. The West Virginia scores 1.101 points per possession offensive rebound putbacks, which is which is pretty good. It, it ranks in the 53rd percentile. Maryland's defense gives up 1.108 excuse me, 1.189 points per possession on offensive rebound putbacks, which is really bad. Like that, that's a really bad number of grades is poor. And this is according to synergy. Maryland is going to need to control the glass. And I think 
one of the reasons why West Virginia's defense is transition defense is suspect is because they're sending so many guys to the glass. You know, West Virginia's always been known as a as a tough nosed rebounding team, and they certainly are that. But they're they're way better offensive rebounding than defensive rebounding because they put a priority on sending multiple guys to crash the offensive rebounds. And Maryland, they've they've been inconsistent rebounding the ball this year. I think you have to give them credit because they went against some really tough opponents, especially big men in, in the Big Ten Conference. And I think for the most part, they held their own in the rebounding battles. There's a few times they struggled. But for the most part, I think you have to give them credit rebounding the ball. But that's going to be a huge priority. You cannot let West Virginia control the glass and get multiple second-chance points. You need It's going to be a five-man rebounding effort. It can't just be Dante Scott and Julian Reese down there. Everyone's going to have to box out, check their man out, and go grab a rebound. And if you are able to control the glass that's when you can get out in transition because Maryland likes to run too. That's their offense that is best when Jameer Young has the ball in transition. So if you can control the glass, you're going to be able to get out in transition too and expose West, West Virginia's transition defense. Yeah, and kind of to add some context to that, West Virginia 32nd in the country in offensive rebounding percentage, 33.7%. Um, so that's about a, th- a third of, of the shots that go up. They get some offensive rebounds, and then they had the best offensive rebound percentage in Big 12 conference play, uh, nearly 35% there. I'm with you. Everyone's got a box out. I think everyone could learn a thing or two from Jameer, who was, you know, maybe the best Maryland rebounding point guard I've seen in some time. Um, he, he's not afraid to get, you know, down and dirty on, on the board. So I think Dante's got a box out, like you said, Akeem, and, and it's got to be a full team effort to your point. Synergy, Synergy's really, really giving some great stats here as well. Great service. Every, I mean, this is what yeah. these teams use. These teams yeah. use Synergy because it's, it's as good as you could get for scouting, for film, for everything. Um, and we're lucky that we can use it or – I guess I'm lucky that I, that I can use it here. Um, all right. The other the other takeaway for me is um, Jameer Young. And, you know, Jameer Young is at his best when he's running the pick and roll. And I think Hakeem Hart has, has ran the pick and rolls, the ball handler, a lot more in recent games, which is good and bad. You know, you want to give Jameer Young a little bit of rest. I think Jameer Young can be productive off the ball as well. But Maryland's going to win the game if Jameer Young plays at a really high level, and Maryland's going to lose the game if Jameer Young plays like he has the last couple games. And watching West Virginia's pick-and-roll coverages, they don't, they're not particularly good at defending the pick-and-roll. They have some really soft coverages where they're going under screens. They're, they're not really sure. There's some miscommunications. They're not sure if they're hard hedging or not. So if West, if West Virginia continues their pick-and-roll coverage like I've seen on film from these last few games, Jameer Young is going to be able to have a field day because he's at his best when he's coming off screens and he, he has a head of steam downhill and he has a little bit of space to work with. He's good at finding Julian Reese on the roll as well. And Jameer Young's a much better three-point shooter when he's when he's coming off the, off the bounce off a of pick-and-roll than when he is just as a pure spot up shooter, I have the stats here. Julian, Re- uh, excuse me, Jameer Young shoots 44% from three as a pick and roll ball handler, compared to just 29.4% as a spot up shooter. So he's better when he's shooting off the bounce off that pick and roll. So if West Virginia goes under the screen, I mean, they went under screen against Jalen Wilson against Kansas. That was one of the clips I should, I showed. I mean, well, you can't do that. What are you doing there? If you're going to go under the screen against him, you're certainly going to go under it against Jameer Young, and Jameer Young will make them pay. But at the on the flip side of that is, you know, we you mentioned earlier where Ben Johnson from Minnesota was like, we kind of changed our pick and roll coverage completely leading up to that Maryland game because because we we saw it on film that Jameer Young has struggled when you put a lot of pressure on him when you're doing hard hedges, blitzing when you're just getting physical with him. 
West Virginia may watch the same thing, completely shift their pick and roll coverage for this game, which is honestly likely because if that's what Jameer Young has shown when he's struggling. If you're, you might as well blitz him. You might as well hard head. You just need to get physical. It really was evident in that first UCLA game back in December um, when Jameer Young, that was really his first bad game from, from Maryland this year. And they just did a great job of those pick and roll coverages. So I don't know. I don't know what West Virginia's cover, pick and roll coverages are going to look like, but if it's that soft coverage that they've shown on film in recent games, Jameer Young is going to have a field day. If they end up trying to be really physical with him in the pick and roll, it'll be interesting to see how Willard kind of adjusts to that and how they kind of can get him going. Maybe it's Akeem Hart who handles the ball more in the pick and roll, and you you have some other play types to get Jameer Young going. But the key here is Jameer Young. If he's playing well, Maryland is going to have a, a good a good chance of winning this game. If he's struggling, I don't see there's any chance. Yeah, I think that's been the case for every big game, pretty much. Um, at least the ones that that are away from home. Kind of go to go back to this behind enemy lines piece from the athletic that we referenced um, from Seth Davis, where an anonymous coach said, "What was the Sam? Like a month and a half ago, yeah. um, that like J- Jameer's like the engine. If you shut him down, then then you're going to win the game." I think it, it stands true yet again. But I think since that point, the physicality has been up on Jameer. The game plans have been up on Jameer. You talk. We both mentioned the Ben Johnson press conference. Minnesota was a really bad team. Maryland was going to win that game regardless. But you saw that even a team of that caliber was able to make Jameer ineffective uh, for 40 minutes straight or at least the first 35 minutes. Um, and Bob Huggins is a Hall of Fame coach. So, yes, if if that, you know, their ball screen defense that West Virginia's had these past few games continues, then Maryland's in good shape. I'd expect Bob Huggins to make some adjustments, though, and Maryland will have to adapt to it as well. We will see that. We will see. I don't know if if that if that's been their thing for all how many games have they played this year? Thirty three games. If that's been their thing all thirty three games, and they're not going to you know have these hard hedges on, on Jameer Young, and they're not going to be too physical with him, then you know whole feast. However, that's the recipe to stopping it. And if you stop Jameer, you're probably going to win this game. Yeah, and just to go to Maryland's other players on the team, um, this is Julian Reese's first tournament, but I see an avenue where you know. West Virginia is actually really good defending the post. They're really bad at defending cuts. That was one of my weaknesses for for West Virginia in the preview that I did. They're really bad at defending cuts. They get lost a lot, but they're really good in post coverage, one-on-one. Sometimes they double down. They're really good in post coverage, but it's interesting because they're not that big of a team. But for some reason, they're really good at at defending post-ups. But I do see an avenue, despite that, where Julian Reese, you can find a lot of touches for Julian Reese on the low block. And if he's having a good game and he can go to work, you're going to want to continue to feed him. Even if West Virginia is nailing in threes, you don't want to have to try to keep up with West Virginia in terms of the three-point shooting. Even though there's not that much of a difference in terms of their percentage, West Virginia is a better three-point shooting team, and you don't want to have to keep up with them. So I can see an avenue where they continue to to go to Julian Reese on the low block and see, especially early, see if he's feeling it. Um, He has to stay out of foul trouble. That's going to be huge. I don't really see that being a problem, given West Virginia isn't the biggest team, even though they are physical. Um, but yeah, that that's that's going to be huge too. And then Dante Scott and Akeem Hart, um, those guys missed the tournament last year. Obviously, they were in it the year before. Those are two guys who who you want to see step up. Like this is this is the NSA tournament. It's a new season. You need him you, to what? Yeah, you need him to. You need him to. You need him to. And you know, especially Akeem Hart. Dante Scott's been inconsistent. When Akeem Hart plays well, this team usually plays well. Um, on both sides of the floor, it's just he hasn't been in the NCAA tournament since, and he didn't really play a lot in that 2021 year. I mean, he played a decent amount. Um, yeah, that was that was the Darren Morsell year. Eric, I, I, yeah, Hakeem Hart played a decent amount, but 
to win an NCAA tournament game, your, your seniors, your leaders, your best players need to play their best. And it starts with Jameer Young, but then it goes to Hakeem Hart and Dante Scott, who have been around this program for a long time and, and have desperately wanted to get back to the NCAA tournament when no one thought they would this year. They're here. It's now time for them to step up. Very much so it is. Um, I was encouraged by Akeem's performance against Indiana. Um, shot under 50%, but he led the team with 16 points. He had three threes. Um, when he's been shooting the three ball well, um, he had that really good stretch towards the end of the season and kind of stepped back a little bit with with that Penn State game and uh, the Nebraska game on the road. Um, if he's making multiple threes per game, it's a really good sign for Maryland. Dante Scott's got to be aggressive. Um, he's got to be able to, you know, go towards the hoop. Obviously, West Virginia is a bigger team, like we've mentioned. But Trey Mitchell, a uh, guy who's 6'9", he can extend the floor. But maybe Dante Scott can prove to be a, a little bit of a matchup problem for him. Um, and I'm with you on feeding Juju as well. I, I mean, I'll bring up the final starter also, Don Carey. The basketball he's been playing lately has been his best in a Maryland uniform. Um, he's been great. He's honestly been phenomenal. Great. He got a lot of slack early on from a lot yeah. of fans, a lot of people in the media, and rightfully so because he was shooting the ball so poorly. But he's been great in the last six, seven games, and and he's just been a consistent cog where he's knocking down threes. He's playing solid defense, and and yeah, Maryland needs that for sure. But it's it's to me, it's about more everyone else. But he's been great. I, I would agree with you. It is about more everyone else. But if, if it's a close game and you, you draw up a, close, a shot for Don Carey, I think we, we talked about this last week where, uh, you know, we drew up that shot or Willard drew up that shot for Carey at Purdue on January 22nd. And, you know, he, he airballed the three to tie the game. I think right now his his confidence is a lot higher in him and, and Don Carey's confidence in himself. Um, three threes the past two games. He's one for four the game before that, but three for six, four for seven, two for three. He's he's been on a roll lately. He's kind of developed that mid range shot as well. I don't, I don't want to say developed, but he's kind of gone to it a little more, um, and and cutting towards the hoop a little more as well. Um, so you got to like what you see from him there. You, you need a balanced effort um, against a West Virginia team that definitely has a balanced offensive effort. I'm with you though. I think um, after Jameer, it starts with Dante and Akeem because you need both those guys to step up if you're going to win here in uh, in March. Yeah, there's there's this is really a toss-up to me, and I guess that's what you get when you have an 8-9 matchup and you have a spread that's low. West Virginia is only favored by two, but this is a really tough matchup to try to project because, number one, you don't know if teams are going to change their coverages from what they've done all season, which they probably will because it's it's a one-or-done situation. Your season's over if you, if you don't and, it, and your plan fails. Um, but this is a team, this is a West Virginia team that's great offensively, Maryland has been inconsistent shooting the ball, but if they get hot, anything could happen. You know, if Maryland has a good three-point shooting day, they're not going to lose this game. Maryland's been great crafting plans to limit opposing teams' best players. If Maryland shuts down Eric Stevenson for West Virginia, Maryland's going to win the game. There's just so many factors at play. Um, you know, it's it's not going to be – it's certainly a neutral site game. I don't really think there's going to be too many Maryland fans or too many West Virginia fans. It might just be some basketball fans there. And some Alabama fans. Yeah, there. I mean, there might not really not be any fans there to be honest with you, because it's twelve fifteen on Thursday. Eleven um, fifteen local. Too. Oh, yeah, you're right. Eleven fifteen in in Birmingham. This is. I mean, do you want to give a prediction? Because this is a really hard matchup for me. To yeah, predict. I've I've been I've been dreading this. Um, I think every key we've mentioned has been you know pretty valid and it's going to play a role. And obviously, you know, we know Maryland better than better than West Virginia, not even close. But um. I don't know, man. I I keep wavering back and forth. Um, West Virginia is favored. It's kind of stayed stayed like that. Um, I, I've kind of been just 
worried about the biggest thing for me. I've been worried about the game plan kind of being there for Jameer, kind of being concrete these past few games. And teams have been physical him with him, like we've mentioned throughout this episode. And I think if if one guy is not afraid to do that, it, it, one guy who wouldn't be afraid to do that is uh, the Hall of Famer, Bob Huggins. Um, I will say, just to interject real quick, all very fair. I do trust Jameer Young more than I would trust like a Dante Scott or Akeem Hart to respond. Like, I just think Jameer Young, like, is he's been so good all year. He really wants this. I mean, this is his first NSA tournament, and who knows where he'll be next year, maybe his last. But I think he really wants this, and and I would trust him to to elevate his game more than anyone else. I would agree with you too. I think I think he bounces back in a big way, but I, I do think they'll cause some problems with him. I think we'll see it more you know, intent game plan from West Virginia on him specifically. I think the biggest thing for me is, you know, outside of Jameer's, like we just said, we need, you need Hakeem and Dante to step up. You need both of them to step up. If they do, I think Maryland will, will put itself in a position to win the game. Um, man, I, I I don't know what to pick here. I'm, uh, I'm wavering back and forth. Um, I will say like that thing that I talked about in the beginning of the show where all these experts are picking West Virginia, that was shocking to me. Because this is no, this isn't an easy game to protect. Like people are acting like West Virginia is a lock. Like I would give Maryland the edge a little bit. I know West Virginia is favored, but this West Virginia team, you know, they're volatile. They've had some. They've been inconsistent all season. Yeah, their offense has been has been good when it's clicking. But when you have balanced scoring attack, you don't have Eric Stevenson's obviously the guy. But you know, it's a pretty balanced scoring attack. Even though they're experienced guys, it's it's hard to kind of trust that because any game, one guy could be great, but the other four guys could be bad, and and. I just don't really trust this West Virginia team, to be honest with you. So it was kind of before I get my pick, it was kind of surprising that that many experts were picking West Virginia like it was some sort of lock because I think Maryland's the better team overall, to be honest with you. Yeah, um, I I think playing in, in the Big 12 is as good as the Big 10 was. And I think me and you are both on the, you know, a little bit of the not the anti Big 10 wave, but everyone, you know, pumped the brakes on the Big 10 wave. Um, the Big 12 is one of the best basketball conferences we've seen in some time and it is it is kind of crazy when you look at West Virginia season the fact they started 0-5 in Big 12 play they were 10-7 and and they ended up being a virtual lock in the NCAA tournament after finishing 7-11 in conference play and losing the the their Big 12 game to uh, Kansas uh, by 17 in the Big 12 tournament um, so it is a little confusing a little bit up and down we don't know what version we're going to see of them um, and it's not like, you know, after they started 0 and 5, it's not like they like rallied off like a four game, five game winning streak or anything. Yeah. They kind of just chipped away and they finished 7 and 16 the rest of the way. So certainly a, a big improvement, but it's not like this team like went on some crazy run. I mean, they still finished. Yes. The Big 12 was by far the best conference in college basketball this year. They still finished 7 and 11 in it. And they didn't have some unbelievable non conference yeah. wins. I'm with you. Um, all right. I, I think. I think I gotta I gotta pick the Terps here. Um, I, I know West Virginia's favorite, and I've been I've been going back and forth. Um, I think you convinced me a little bit in this episode, honestly, through uh, watching your film, watching some of the defense they might be playing on Jameer, um, and the fact that that he'll be he'll be able to bounce back a little bit. I think it's a complete coin flip. I think you could kind of like our, our friend Evan did last week. You could take the quarter near your desk, heads Maryland tails West Virginia, flip that and make a pick. Um, but yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna go the uh, the Terps by one. Um, Maybe it's because I've seen him play all of 33 times this season. And, and you know, they have been good on neutral. Um, I, I will say that Indiana game, even that first half, I, like you said, that's that's not really a neutral court. And I'm not going to have that Minnesota game as well. But if you go back to early season, beat the crap out of Miami, who's ACC champs, and beat St. Louis by 28, who wasn't good as good as people hoped. But um, 
still finished top 100 in Ken Palm. So I'll go Maryland by one, but uh, tough. I, I, I did it. I did have West Virginia previously. I've been kind of going back and forth, but that's my, uh, my on-air prediction for you guys. Here's one more thing. Um, Willard mentioned in the top, he's been bad in NCAA tournaments. Like, and he's been in this eight, nine slot and he's kind of like barely gotten some of his seat and hall teams in, but he's one in five in NCAA tournament. Um, in NCAA tournament games, and he's never won this 8-9 matchup when he's been in 8-seed, which has happened two times before. This is the the, the third time. He he still has a lot to prove in the NCAA tournament, yep. and that's big for, for Maryland and him, too. Like, he really wants this. He really wants to kind of change that narrative and be like, all right, maybe that was a seat in hole I struggled, but for this Maryland team, I'm going to be consistently good in the NCAA tournament. I'm not just going to get our team in, and we're going to win some games when we get when we get in. Um, So I think that's huge, too, for this team. And for Willard and the coaching staff specifically, you're right. It's a coin flip. I mean, this is as much of a coin flip as you get. I'm not. I haven't been afraid to pick against Maryland all season. I've done a lot, and a lot of times I've been proved wrong. But just watching this West Virginia tape, I I don't think they're that good, and I think they've been so inconsistent. I'm not going to trust them. Not that Maryland's been particularly consistent, especially shooting the ball. But I'm not going to trust this West West Virginia team, even though they have a Hall of Fame coach on the sidelines, even though they're going to be incredibly physical with Maryland even though they might change up their pick and roll coverage. I just can't, I can't trust this West Virginia team. And I think Maryland's the overall better team on both ends of the floor and has the better players. And even though they're both experienced teams, I I think I trust Maryland more. So I'm going to pick Maryland by three. I'm going to say 69 to 66 Maryland. There we go. Um, So we both picked them. That means West Virginia. You can pencil that one in to the, to the, uh, the second round. Um, And, and let me just, let me just give a prediction now. Maryland beats West West Virginia and then Alabama by 16 by 16. Yeah. I think Alabama will beat either team by 16. I like that number. Um, but we'll, we'll, we'll be in Birmingham. I'm excited for that one. in just, just a few hours, um, just keep an eye out for, for all our coverage there. I mean, this is, this is a big day for the site content wise. I will say in addition to the podcast, um, what, what do we got out right now as of 1124, we got your preview. We got uh, your keys to the game. Uh, I'm going to have a story on, on Julian Reese in a little bit. Um, a we'll story, story about um, Kyle Tarp, the strength and conditioning coach or the director of basketball performance for Maryland. Um, a little Willard feature in there um, as well on the site. The entire front page is all Maryland men's basketball content because we're 24 hours away, less now actually, to um, the NCAA tournament game. Um, yeah, it'll, it'll be great. So, all right, well, we'll we'll keep you covered and we appreciate everyone listening. And we'll talk to you next week when Maryland season may or may not be over. We may be previewing a sweet 16 matchup. Unlikely, but we'll see. We'll talk to you next week.